Good morning. Happy New Year. Wow. It's going to be one of those days. It's going to be one of those days. Hey, I'm so glad that you are here. I'm glad the folks are joining us online uh, this morning and worshiping with us as well. I, I, I hope that you did have great holidays uh, and uh, got to spend some time with uh, family and friends. Um, but before we kick off this next series, I, I, I feel like we need to have a moment. We, we need to talk just a little bit uh, about this past week. Um, I thought we had a deal. Um, I, I thought like we made a pact that nothing was going to happen in 2021 that was unprecedented. I thought that was our agreement, and we didn't even make it five days, right? Um, we, we saw something unprecedented, um, something we have never seen before in the history of our nation, uh, our, the, our, the Capitol building um, was attacked by American citizens. That's never happened before. And I, 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 want, to, I want to do two things, if I could just have this moment, and then we'll, then we'll start the series. Um, I want to offer a, a lament. I want us to grieve. For a minute, and then I want to tell you a story. So, um, the grieving part is um, you're probably like me, and you are heartbroken at what you saw. The images that we saw, and the video that continues to come out, five people are dead, uh, many are injured, many are being arrested. Um, It was a... It will forever be a day to grieve about, to lament over. There's not anything positive from Wednesday. We did a whole series on the bright side. There's not a bright side to Wednesday. There is nothing but grief and sadness and sorrow over what happened in our nation on Wednesday. And we should lead the way in lamenting and grieving this moment. What I lament, what I grieve over the most, what I grieve over the most is that some of the ones who were carrying out violence on Wednesday were carrying banners with the name of my Jesus on it. I'm grieved by that. On the Capitol grounds on Wednesday, a cross was raised. And on the Capitol grounds on Wednesday, a noose was raised. People who were calling for the execution of our vice president and other members of Congress were among a group of people who also claim to follow Jesus. We will have to talk about it later on. There is a reckoning coming for the church. 
that we have allowed the name of Jesus to be so identified with extreme politics. I grieve, not just for Wednesday, but this has been coming for a while. I grieve that. A story. In 1992, I was newly married, and I was a first semester seminary student. Julie and I were living in Texas. I had just started seminary. We, were, we had been married just a couple of months, and I, I remember voting in the presidential election of 1992. Some of you are old enough to remember that election. Some of you weren't born at that time. And I remember it for a specific reason. Um, for the 12 years leading up to that election, the party that had sat in the seat of the presidency, they were the party that I had, been, I had always been told was the good party. I had always been told, this is the Christian party, this is the party that all good people vote for, the other party's bad, this is the good party. And so, from the age of 12 to the age of 24, which, you know, most of my memories are really strong in that period of time, there was a president from the party that I had always been told, this is the good party. And really for the majority of my life, just for a short window of time, the majority of my life, that party had been in charge. And so I voted in 1992 for that party and that person. And I distinctly remember where I was. I was sitting in my car. I was on the campus of the seminary. And I remember when the projections started coming in. Uh, news stations began projecting the winner. For some strange reason, people thought this year was the first time that had ever been done. Um, news stations have always called the election in the sense of projecting a winner. I don't remember a time they didn't do this. And in 1992, projections started coming in. And the person that I voted for lost. And I remember the 24-year-old, for the first time, having the, that experience. That the person I voted for didn't win. That the party that I thought was the good guys didn't win. The party that I thought were the bad guys did when I remember that sense of helplessness that I had as a 24-year-old. I remember hopelessness. I remember trying to figure out, what does this mean? What's going to happen to our nation now? What's going to happen to religious people now? What's going to happen to all of these issues now? I was afraid. Now... A couple of things happened. In seminary with me, I came to find out, one of my friends actually had the complete opposite view of all the political things that I, I was raised to know. As a matter of fact, this friend of mine had actually worked on the staff of that new president when he was governor of a certain southern state. Those of you who are alive, you're figuring this out. He knew these people personally. 
And, and as I began to talk to him, I began to realize, well, Christian people, they have different ideas about how to get to some of the same goals. Over the eight years of that presidency, that particular president did many things that I disagreed with. But looking back, many things that I agree with. As a matter of fact, it wasn't until many years later I looked back on the presidency itself and thought, well, wow, yeah, I would have, I would have been in support of that. I'm glad he did that. I'm glad that was the decision that was made. Since that time, political control as far as the presidency and even Congress has swung back and forth since 92, fairly consistently. It swung back and forth. And I can look at everyone that has served since 92, and I've disagreed with many things that they did. And I've agreed with many things that they did. And sometimes it was only in looking back that I went, you know what, that was the right decision. I didn't even know they made that decision. That was a good decision. I, didn't, I never heard that particular speech. I agree with everything that person says. Whether it was the person I voted for or I didn't vote for. And so I'm saying to us, as God's people, as representatives of the kingdom... What I've said before, that God is in control. This is not the end of the world. It's not. It's not the end of the world. This is a transition. This is an unusual transition. This is a transition that we should grieve over for many reasons. But the rage that is growing in our country, we can't participate in. We name the name of Jesus above all. We are citizens of the kingdom of God above all. And I can guarantee you, whatever the next four years, whoever is the president, let's just leave it at that. The next president is going to do some things you disagree with. And they're going to do some things you agree with. And the president after this one, they're going to do some things you and I disagree with. And some things that you and I agree with. But we are people that belong to another kingdom first. We follow another king first. And we grieve what we see in this world. But we believe there is a God over all. And I just want to encourage you to pray fervently, especially for the next two weeks to pray fervently, to pray for the next president, as hopefully you have prayed for the current president, because God is the one ultimately in control. I want to pray for us. I want to pray for our nation. 
and want to study, I want to begin this new study with you. God, we come to you, and I'll only speak for myself, but with a heart that is broken and grieving over the condition of our nation, the condition of our leaders, the condition of rhetoric and anger. I come to you personally grieved over the fact that the Savior's name is attached to things that bear no resemblance to the Christ that I worship. I grieve the fact that we seem to have lost the ability to trust your sovereign reign and control. Restore that in us. Restore that sense of trusting by faith that God does all things well. I pray for a nation. I, I pray for calm. I pray for an end to violence. I pray that there would be no more deaths. There would be no more violent acts. I pray for our leaders that they would turn from evil and to wisdom. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, as we start this next study, and in, in thinking in many ways of, of where, where we've been, I find that... Um, People have varying levels of tolerance for clutter. Uh, if we put pictures and video of your homes, we're not, don't freak out. If we put pictures and videos of the inside of your home, I, we, I, it would prove my point. Right? That, that we have varying levels of tolerance for clutter. Uh, Spouses often have varying levels of tolerance for clutter. Parents often have a different tolerance level for clutter than their children. And even not all children are the same. Some children have different tolerance levels for clutter. We're all different. For some people, they can handle a little bit of clutter, right? For for some, they can handle a lot of clutter. Some people want no clutter. Some people don't even see clutter. It's just life to them. It's one of the challenges of, of having a roommate for the first time, right? If you remember the first time you moved in with somebody else or a group of people, three roommates, all in an apartment, and you discovered not everybody likes things the way you like it. And what is neat to you is not neat to somebody else. We, we have this varying tolerance level for clutter. We're coming off a year, and um, I, I, I'm just kind of hoping 2021 hasn't started yet. You know, I'm, I'm telling myself that today is uh, December 41st of 2020, and 2021 is actually going to start at some point and be better. We're, we're coming off a year where there's just a lot of clutter, and there's a lot of mess. There's a lot of rubble lying around. 
we witnessed um, in, in various ways levels of destruction in this past year. Like things were upset. Things were broken down. Uh, things were in a mess. And, and we start this new year, I, I think, in some ways trying to figure out, okay, how do we clean up the clutter? How do we fix up the rubble? How, how do we patch up all of the destruction? For, for some of us, there was emotional clutter that has built up over this year. We're still not sure what to do with all of the things we've felt and all of the things that we've experienced. For some of us, there's relational clutter that, that has built up. For some of us, there's spiritual debris, spiritual rubble, spiritual clutter all around us as we finish up this year. This has been, I think we could say, this has been, last year was the year of rubble. It was the year where things just got torn up. Things just got exploded. And, and, and what I'm believing, what I'm counting on, is that whereas 2020 was the year of rubble, 2021 will be the year of the rebuild. 2021 will be the year where we go, you know what, a lot of things got wiped out last year. A lot of things got messed up last year. This is the year that we're going to begin to rebuild from the rubble that we saw in this last year. Some of you are rebuilding businesses. You're rebuilding careers. You, what happened in 2020 had an impact on your work environment. And now you're trying to figure out, okay, how do we rebuild from all of this? Some of us are trying to rebuild economically. Right? There was an economic uh, uh, destruction that happened in our lives or in our careers or in our businesses. And so now we're going to have to try to rebuild that. Our nation is going to have to try to rebuild economically. Our community is going to have to try to rebuild economically. Small businesses in particular are having to rebuild economically. There's a lot of rebuilding to do in 2021. We're, we're rebuilding schedules and habits. We're, we're rebuilding... The way we do school, right? The school's different. College is different. Teaching's different. I, I, everybody I've talked to, when I've asked about their holidays, uh, they've typically said, well, it was different this year. Right? Everything's different. There's, there's that sense of rubble and debris. Some of us need to rebuild spiritually in 2021. You know, because so much shifted to online and and that's, that's more challenging for most of us to stay engaged. And so maybe you, what you found in your life is your relationship to Christ doesn't feel as close, as energized as it once did. Maybe you got out of some spiritual habits in 2021. Maybe you got out of the habit of worship or Bible study or prayer or community. You got out of all of those habits and now 2021's beginning and and, and I, I believe that this is a year we need to do some rebuilding. Right? And, and maybe it's rebuilding relationships. Maybe there are people who need to rebuild their marriage. You need to rebuild your family. You need to rebuild your role as a parent. Maybe you need to rebuild your reputation. There's all of this rebuilding that needs to be done after what we've experienced in this last Churches are having to rebuild. We're having to rebuild 
what was once and now it's different and what is it going to be into the future. And as we've experienced, just as we felt like we were getting a good running start to rebuilding, all the coronavirus cases shot up and then now we're re-rebuilding. You know, we're re-restarting. And a lot of this past year and maybe even this coming year is going to feel that way. We restarted and then we had to re-restart. And we might have to re-re-restart at some point. There's, there's so much that needs to be rebuilt. Our nation needs rebuilding. The, the trust for our leaders, confidence in how our nation is doing. All of that needs to be rebuilding. It needs to be rebuilt after, after the destruction that we've seen. Now, the rubble, the, the, the destruction is the negative. I, I want to offer this positive as we kick off this series, as we begin this new year, and it's simply this. Where there's rubble, there is the potential, the opportunity for a rebuild. Wherever there's rubble, that is a prime opportunity to have a rebuild. Rubble is not in and of itself a sign of hopelessness. Rubble is not in and of itself a sign of disaster. It's not simply a memorial to something that was lost. Rubble is a sign that this is a spot you could rebuild. This is something you could rebuild. If you look at your marriage at the beginning of 2021 and there's rubble, there's clutter there. That's an opportunity to rebuild. If you look at relationships and, and there's rubble there, that's a sign. Maybe you need to start rebuilding some things. Wherever you see rubble, and we see a lot of it. We see a lot of things that have been broken down, that have fallen apart. That pile of rubble is a sign to you and to me this is an opportunity to rebuild. I'm believing that 2021 is going to be a year of rebuilding. So we're, we're starting a story. It's in the Old Testament. And it's all about rebuilding. It's the story of Nehemiah. Some of you are familiar with it. Some of you may not be. It's about two-thirds of the way through the Bible. If you get to Psalms, you've gone too far. Back up a little bit. Uh, the book of Nehemiah, let me kind of orient you just a little bit to where we are chronologically, historically. When we're reading the story of Nehemiah, even though it's positioned before Psalms in your Bible, we're actually at the end of the Old Testament. Nehemiah is one of the last things that happens in the Old Testament. The last book of the Old Testament is Malachi. And some of you are familiar with that. There's 400 years of silence after Malachi, and then the New Testament starts with the birth of Christ. Nehemiah and Malachi are contemporaries, right? They lived about the same time. They, they maybe didn't, they weren't on the scene maybe at the same time, but that same season of time, right at the end of the Old Testament, right, 440 BC to 400 BC, in that time range, they're both living. And active, so we're at the very end of the Old Testament. Some of you prefer visuals. I brought a visual. Uh, this will kind of get us oriented timeline-wise. The southern kingdom of Judah is taken captive by the Babylonians, and they're led away to Assyria. It becomes Persia. Seventy years of captivity. 
Then the Persian king, after he takes over, begins to let them go back. And so there's three waves of groups that return to uh, Jerusalem. Uh, Zerubbabel is the first group, 538 uh, B.C., Zerubbabel returns in the first wave back to Jerusalem and he leads the rebuilding of the temple. Uh, 13 months ago, like last November, we studied the book of Haggai, right? Like some of you, you, you pull in your notes out right now from that study. You don't remember that study. All right, so November, we studied Haggai. Go back. I'm not lying to you. We really did. Haggai is prophesying during this first wave of return. Zerubbabel, Haggai says, guys, we got to rebuild the temple. They rebuild the temple. Esther happens between Zerubbabel and Ezra, right? Esther, as a matter of fact, the setting of Esther is the palace in Susa. That's where all of the events of Esther take place in the Persian palace of Susa, which is the exact same palace that Nehemiah starts in. So we're in the same palace, different king. The king with Esther was a guy named Xerxes. Uh, you remember from all of your studies of history who Xerxes was, uh, Persian king. He conquered the Spartans. If you remember the story of those 300 Spartans, they made their... Uh, stand at the Battle of Thermopylae. Um, this is that Persian. If you watch 300 with, with Russell Crowe, right? Older movie, you watch 300 with Russell Crowe. That movie, this is King Xerxes who defeats the Spartans. He has a son named Artaxerxes. That's the king when Nehemiah is living. All right, so Ezra comes back, second wave of people. Nehemiah comes back, third wave of people, to Jerusalem, and Malachi is happening at the same time. So this is kind of the flow of the Old Testament history from captivity to the end of the Old Testament. This is how Nehemiah starts, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev. Kislev was November, December. So, about now, winter, winter time for us, December. In the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, same citadel that the story of Esther takes place in, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So, again, if you can picture our timeline, two waves of people have gone back. Nehemiah is still in Persia. A friend travels to Jerusalem and comes back, and Nehemiah says, how are they doing? I know a bunch of people have gone back. By this time, it's been 70, 80 years or so. I know people have gone back. What is it like back in Jerusalem? Here's the report. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire, which is not the report Nehemiah would have wanted. It's not the report you want when you ask somebody, how's it going? You don't want to hear terrible. And that's the report. How's it going? It's bad. Like, it's real bad. The people are suffering. They're, they're, they're sitting ducks for their enemies. It's bad. It's terrible. 
Hanani does not try to sugarcoat this thing. Hanani is not trying to convince Nehemiah of something that wasn't true. It's bad. If you and I are going to rebuild anything in 2021, anything, you pick the subject, anything. If we're going to rebuild anything in 2021, it starts here. You have to acknowledge the rubble before you can start the rebuild. You got to acknowledge that it's there. It's bad. This part of my life, it's bad. My relationship to God, it's not where it needs to be. It's bad. My marriage, it's bad. We got to do something. Wherever you want to begin to rebuild, it starts with it's bad. We have a problem. This is the message from Hanani. Notice, he doesn't assign blame. He doesn't say, it's bad and it's those people's fault. He doesn't offer excuses. He doesn't say, well, you know, it's kind of bad on that side, but it's bad on the other side too. My family has a bad, but they have a bad too. They're not doing what they're supposed to do. There was no whataboutism. There was no, they're just as bad. They're just as, there was none of that. Hanani just says, it's bad. We are a disgrace in the eyes of our enemies. Our God's name is being disgraced. It's bad. They can't sleep at night because they have no security. That's what the wall was thousands of years ago. The wall was their security. They can't sleep at night. It's bad. If if you and I want to rebuild anything in 2021, it starts with... Bad. This needs to get better this year. Now, there's some things you and I have to own about rebuilds. We have to own it before we start. Or other, otherwise, we'll get in the middle of it and we'll realize it and we may quit. Here's some things we need to own. The first is a rebuild is less exciting and more frustrating than an original construction. You just got to own that. I reached out to a couple of our guys who are in construction. Dustin Hodges builds buildings, huge structures. Devin Snell builds bridges and roads. And and I just said, hey, tell me the difference between a rebuild versus just building something on a plot of land. There's nothing there. You go in, build whatever you want. And, and, And... these, I'll, I'll use their words in my mouth, all right? So kind of combination of, uh, of our words. They talked about how much more difficult it is to do a rebuild than just to go somewhere and build something fresh. You, you have to own that rebuilding is going to be difficult at times. And, and part of it's an emotional difficulty because... You're building something you've already done before or somebody's already done before. You're just trying to get it back to where it was, which is a whole lot more frustrating. And and you don't feel like you're making quite as much progress because you're just trying to get back to where you were. If you you exercise, if you're a runner, you've experienced this, right? You you were on this really great plan. You, You were logging big miles. You were lifting big weights. And then you got an injury. You got sick. Life got busy. 
Two months went by, you, weren't, you didn't have time to exercise. The first time you show back up in the gym, how does that feel? Frustrating. Discouraging because you're thinking, I can't even lift what I used to lift. I can't run as long as I used to run. I can't run as fast as I used to run. So you, you, you engage in a rebuild. But that rebuild means I'm having to work really hard just to get back to where I was. Let's own the fact that rebuilds by their very nature can be frustrating. They can be discouraging because you're just trying to get back to where you were. Here's another thought. In a rebuild, you're working within an existing footprint or foundation. You don't have the freedom just to go in and have a clear piece of land and say, we're just going to do whatever we want. No, you, you've got a footprint, and you've got to fit in that footprint. You've got to work with some things that are already there. You've got to pull the original plans and figure out, all right, what were they trying to do, and why did they do it, and what are their measurements? And the, There are boundaries. There are some restrictions that you have to deal with in a rebuild, so, so, like in your job. There may be times when the right thing to do for you is to leave your job and go to a new one, right? Leave the career that you've been in for 20 years and, and, and jump into a whole new industry, just a whole new career. There may be a time to do that, but sometimes the right thing to do is to say, you know what, I want to stay here. I want to work harder. I want to learn. I want to get smarter. I want to find better ways of doing this. And yes, I, I'm still within the same structure. I'm within the same boundaries that I've been in, but I'm going to make this better. Sometimes you deal with the framework, the foundation that you already have. In marriages, it is tempting to think this isn't working. I'll just start over with somebody new. When probably what you're called to do is to stay within the foundation that God put you in, that you've already been in, and ask how do I get better? How do we take what we already have and rebuild something better? So listen, if you feel stuck as we go into 2021, if you're not sure what your next move is, maybe it's not just to take off and do something you've never done before. Maybe it's to figure out how God wants you to build within the framework that he's already given you. Another thought. In a rebuild, you have to work with past mistakes. Right? You, you have to work with whatever's been left over from the past. Right? Uh, Dustin said, the nice thing about a new construction is you get to make new mistakes. Right? Or you get to make your own mistakes. When you're rebuilding something that's already existed, you're having to work with all the mistakes that come with whatever's there. If the... If the structure is not quite square, you got to figure out how you're going to work with that. If the foundation is not quite level, you got to figure out, okay, how are we going to work with that? Because this is the given. This is what we're in. you got to work with the mistakes that come with whatever you're trying to rebuild. If there are cracks in the foundation, you got to figure out how are we going to fix those? How are we going to deal with those? You, there's a... 
There's a certain amount of strategy and creativity that comes with a rebuild. you got to say, we don't get a fresh start. We have something already. How do we work with what we already have? At the beginning of the year, we often talk about making a fresh start. We think of January, we think of New Year's as a fresh start. So we say, well, I'm going to make a fresh start in January. That's not really what we mean, is it? What we, what we really mean is, I'm going to restart some area of my life, but I got a whole lot of stuff that's coming with me. You, you can say, I'm going to make a fresh start when it comes to exercise in January. It's a great thing to say. It's a great thing to say. I'm like a fresh start when it comes to exercise, but I got news for you. All the weight you gained in 2020 is coming with you. Right? It's not a fresh start. It's a, I'm towing a whole lot of stuff and I want to do it differently going forward. But I got to deal with all that stuff I'm bringing. I mean, it's a great thing to get to January and say, I want to change my eating habits. I want to eat better. I want to have a healthier diet. Fantastic. You know what's coming with you? The fact that you love cake. Right? It's coming with you. It's not a fresh start in the sense that you wipe the whole slate clean. Some of, some of, some of us maybe in January are thinking, you know what, I'm going to be more disciplined. I, I, I'm going to be more motivated. I'm going I'm to have better time management, which is great. You know what's coming with you? Your tendency to procrastinate is still coming with you. Amen, I see that hand in the back. Yeah, it's coming with you. So you got to find a way to work with the mistakes that have already been made and ask yourself, how, how do I begin to change this? How do, how do I begin to make this? But you got to deal with all the stuff that's coming. You may look at your marriage and say, I'm gonna make, we're going to make a fresh start. And I commend you for that. That's awesome. You know what's coming with you? All of the communication problems that you had in the past, they're coming with you and you have to address them. You have to figure out what are we going to do about these things. You have to manage the mistakes that have already been made. Because of those things, you and I have to, we have to overcome a certain amount of inertia. We must overcome inertia. To rebuild because there are mistakes, because there are boundaries, because there are things we have to work with, and maybe we don't want to work with them, there is a tendency to do nothing. Is there anything in your house that you've been meaning to get to for five years? Anything in, in the backyard that you meant to clean up? During the Bush administration. Right? Inertia. I'll get to it. Ugh, I don't want to deal with that right now. Uh, just fine. It's been there ever since we moved in. It's not going anywhere. There's a sense of inertia because rebuilding takes some motivation. It, it, you, you do have to deal with all of these things that we've been discussing. We get used to the clutter. Right? This is the problem in Jerusalem. They are used to seeing the rubble. The walls have been down 
ever since they got back 80 years, walls have been down. They are used to stepping over the rubble. They're used to walking around the rubble. They're used to ignoring the rubble. There is an inertia that is keeping them from doing what God wants them to do because it's going to be hard. Because it's going to be challenging. Now, those are the negatives, right? That's the struggle that we have. Let me give you some positives. Here's a big positive. A rebuild gives us a chance to make it better. It gives us a chance to make it better. Yes, I made these mistakes when I started building. When I rebuild, I'm going to correct those. I'm going to make it better. I'm going to knock out this wall. I'm going to add this window. We're going to put another room over there. Right? A, a rebuild gives, gives me a chance to do it better. Your marriage gives you a chance to back up and say, we're going to do it better going forward. It's not a fresh start. We've got to deal with a lot of our mistakes from the past. They're still there, but we're going to start rebuilding, and we're going to do it better this time. Your spiritual life. I'm going to rebuild. I'm going to be committed to the things of God, fresh and new. I'm going to build it better this time. Rebuild gives us a chance to do it better. A rebuild on the positive side. A rebuild also reminds us who we are. Reminds us who we are. The people of God had come back to Jerusalem, but they didn't know who they were. And this is one of the major themes of Nehemiah. Remember who you are. These are generations of people who grew up in exile. They grew up in Babylon and Persia. They are the children of people who grew up in a whole other culture with whole other customs. They came back and the temple was destroyed and the walls were destroyed. These people didn't know who they were. And Nehemiah steps in and says, you were not meant to live in this mess. You were not created by God to live with all of this rubble in your life. You are the covenant people of God. They forgot who they were. And as Nehemiah challenges them, let's honor the name of God by who we are and what we're doing. Let's fulfill His purposes in our lives. They began to discover who they were. You, your family, your marriage, you personally, you were not created to live in the rubble. You are the covenant people of God, redeemed by the name of Jesus. Some people have been living in the mess so long, they've been living in the rubble so long, they think that's who they are now. This is just my lot in life. This is just how my life is. This is just who I am. No, it's not. You have been redeemed by Jesus. You are in relationship with the eternal God. And He is the greatest 
rebuilder there has ever been. For all of the practical lessons that we're going to get out of Nehemiah, and there are tons of practical lessons, there's leadership lessons. Let's not forget that over all of it, Nehemiah is teaching us that Jesus is the ultimate rebuilder. Nehemiah is that image. And there's a lot about Nehemiah that we want to emulate, we want to become like, we want to follow. But ultimately, Nehemiah is a Christ figure. Because what Christ does is he steps into our mess and says, look, let's start picking up some stones and stacking them on top of each other. It's going to take a little while. It's going to take some work. You and me together, though, we're going to build something in your life. Jesus is the ultimate rebuilder. You can try to do this on your own, and it's not going to work. You can try to have enough self-motivation and self-discipline. You're going to run out of that at some point. Jesus came to live in you, to redeem you, to build the life that would honor and glorify His Father. Jesus is what you and I need to start rebuilding lives, ours and others. He is the ultimate rebuilder. For when sin and Satan had taken over our lives, when we were destined to die and be separated from God forever, Jesus came in and built a way for us to know our Father. As we come off this year of of rubble, of debris, of clutter, let's step into a year where we allow Jesus to rebuild us, strengthen us, Remind us of our calling and our purpose. For we are the covenant people of God. And wherever you see rubble, there's an opportunity to rebuild. Let's pray. God, we are grateful that you are the ultimate rebuilder of all things. You are the one who has called us out of sin. You are the one who has set us apart. God, a lot of things got destroyed last year. A lot of things got broken down. There was, there's still a lot of uncertainty and unrest in us. And so we want to move into 2021 believing that you will rebuild. Believing that you will strengthen. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.